Welcome to Tasty Deep Dives, the podcast that discusses sustainable food. I'm Catherine, and I'm joined by my co-host, Isabella. We want to inspire others by sharing stories and information from farmers, producers, distributors, consumers, scientists, nutrition, and many more about their views on sustainable food production and the scaling up of sustainable and organic food. Today, we are joined by Frank Holloman, who is the founder of Fork Ranger. And Fork Ranger is here to answer two of your toughest questions. What can I do about climate change? And what's for dinner? They translate climate science into stories and recipes so everyone can be a part of the solution. Their mission is to use food as a starting domino for systemic change. Yeah, I really enjoyed the talk with Frank. I thought he was a multi-talented chameleon because he did so many different things in his career and has a deep passion uh, for um, uh, changing, changing the food system. Um, and he's really turning his concern for the climate into action through his company. So I really hope you will all enjoy the episode as much as we did. Yeah, it was great. And it also just makes me want to start cooking again and, uh, you know, cook right now, find new recipes and uh, you can get inspired by their recipes. They have actually a cookbook and they're also working on an app. So there's more things to come. So enjoy the interview with Frank Holman. Hello and welcome to Tasty Deep Dives. I am Catherine and I am joined by my co-host here, Isabella. Hello. And today we have the honor of interviewing Frank Holman, who is the owner and creator of a company called Fork Ranger. Uh, we're so happy to have you. Welcome, Frank. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. Yeah. Uh, so first, just you know, to give our audience a little bit of information about who you are, could you just kind of give us a background of who you are and uh, you know, kind of about your company's history? Yeah, sure. My um, well, for me, it all started when I was about 15 years old. Now I'm 29 years old, uh, and I live in Amsterdam. But I grew up in Switzerland, uh, where you have a lot of beautiful mountains. And I first learned about climate change. It really hit me that well, the glaciers are going to disappear. And ever since that moment, I was looking for ways to do something about climate change. But for a really long time, I only heard about all the problems. And I also didn't really change my lifestyle. And <laughs> I think point, a lot of us can relate to yeah. that, probably. <laughs> yeah, so I was interested in climate change, but it didn't really do something about it. I was flying around the world and eating lots of hamburgers. Uh, <laughs> and then I slowly got into sustainability and for a job, I did something about uh, plastic. And then I started getting more and more curious about the solutions for climate change. And then at some point I came across a, a book called Drawdown, where scientists calculated the 100 most effective ways to reduce emissions. And um, I was really surprised by it because 11 of the top 25 solutions were about food and then in particular the the top ones were reducing food waste and uh, eating more plant-rich meals and at that moment i was already eating less meat for the climate because i had finally realized that okay if you're interested about climate change maybe you should eat a little <laughs> bit less meat yeah <laughs> um but i was i was still struggling with it in a way because every time i searched for recipes i would only find things that didn't really appeal to me like a quinoa salad or something that, that was too complicated or had spices I'd never heard of. So I thought there must be a way to make it easier for myself to just cook vegetarian recipes. 
so I started to collect some recipes. And at that moment, I was also on the point in my life where I was sort of figuring out what I want to do with my life. Uh, and I had sort of decided that, okay, I think I want to begin something for myself. And I was really interested in startups. And then after working on the recipes for two or three months, I thought, hey, maybe actually this could be my startup idea. Um, and I started, uh, I started with a book at first because my background was also in design and I did some freelance work in that. So I thought, okay, I'll make a, I'll just make a cookbook for my friends and family. And then it got turned into a bit of a bigger project uh, and it became a real book with half easy recipes and the other half explanation about, okay, how do you eat sustainably? Because that, that's, of course, the other tricky thing is there's so much confusing, uh, confusing information out there that how do you know what's sustainable? Um, so that, that's really how it started about um, a bit more than two years ago. And um, now I'm here in Amsterdam and trying to, to build it into a, a real startup with an app and uh, make it more of a digital product so that it's easier to reach more people. So you started two years ago. Uh, what did you do previously? Because I read something online about a solar-powered mission to the South Pole. What, what's, what's that all about? Yes, that was a crazy project. I, I was really lucky to join. It was, a, it was an expedition to the South Pole um, with a vehicle built from recycled plastic that was driven on solar power. And Amazing. yeah, it was, it was really, because I was always in love with Antarctica and expeditions and adventure. So when I came across this project, which the, the car was, the vehicle was built by um, a Dutch guy close to where my parents live. So uh, I asked him if I could join and uh, it turned out that they were looking for somebody to do communications, which is what I studied. And so I joined them and I had a really great time just challenging ourselves, learning about how to put sort of seemingly impossible goals into reality. Um, and that's where I also learned about, okay, how do you make sustainability more attractive? How do you sort of turn things around instead of always saying, this is what's bad to look more at, okay, what are the solutions and what are the the nice things about it and sort of trying to turn this whole sustainability thing into an adventure uh, so i don't have to become a classical adventurer who who walks to the south pole by myself <laughs> even though that really sort of appeals to me as well um, but how to how to make it into something that i can do on a daily basis and so in during that project i started to get more and more interested about uh, food and at some point um I had to quit there and then I thought, okay, now what I want to work on now. And now I've been working on plastic for a year. What's the next step? And that's when I found this book uh, and found out about food. Yeah, cool. And actually, where does the name Fork Ranger come from? I was um, brainstorming for names. I written down, I don't know how many hundred of names. Uh, and I was searching for something um, that was a bit more cool uh, <laughs> and like a, a lot of vegetarian things are more on the feminine side of branding mm -hmm. uh, which is understandable because unfortunately most um, vegans or vegetarians are women yeah uh, and men have sort of a difficulty sometimes um, 
leaving behind the idea that that you need meat to be a real man. Yeah, the masculinity. So I, th- I wanted to make it. Yes. Um, so I wanted to offer some something masculine, uh, like a masculine brand, uh, and make it about adventure. And then um, a a park ranger is somebody who um, protects the the park and the forest. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, then if you're a fork ranger, then you're protecting the forest uh, with your fork. That's sort of what we can do. That's really cool. I like that. That's good. I think it's really interesting what you mentioned about um, the dynamic between like men and women with veganism and vegetarianism. And, you know, I do find that it is not necessarily like a stigma, but it just is is more known that more women are vegan or vegetarian. And how do you, you know, you said like with your name, but how do you try and create more of a balance there or try and create, like have it be more enticing for men to become vegan or vegetarian? Well, one of the one of the core things for me is to try and make it as to try to turn it into an adventure. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, that doesn't just appeal to men, but uh, it's an alternative to the more. Um, so, of course, veganism has or eating with less meat or vegetarianism has a lot of different values to it, and some values are about caring for nature and caring for animals. So these are more feminine values, uh, which then also automatically translate themselves into usually a more feminine brand, which makes a lot of sense. But uh, I wanted to offer more of of a different brand to that, more something about discovery, uh, exploration, uh, and and going on an adventure and taking on a, a challenge to do something better for the world. So it's there are different values, and and I think in this way, choosing um, a new perspective is one way to help. And I think the other thing that that I try to do that seems to help uh, is to not say that you need to become vegan, but to say, okay, we need to eat less meat. You can the first step to eat more sustainable is to replace beef with chicken. That already makes a huge difference. Um, and I think in this way, it's sort of trying to lower the barrier of the lower the barrier of entry to make it just easier to start. And I think once you start something, then everything gets a lot easier. Once you're, it's the same with sports or getting out of bed. Once you're <laughs> out of bed, or once you've sort of put on your running shoes and you st- you set the first step outside, well, then it's not so hard to to keep going. But it, you, you need some motivation and, and make it as easy as possible to start uh, with it. And I think that's that's one of the things I try to do. Yeah. Yeah. I touched on two that. points kind of that I that I wanted to talk about. Like, do you actually find that that does attract more men like your method? Do you see that in in your in your company? Um, maybe a little bit. It's hard to compare. I would have to compare to the numbers for other comparable projects. And I think. It does help, but overall, um, at least if I look at Instagram followers, uh, two-thirds are women, uh, and I think that's just Mm -hmm. statistics. It's because apparently there are more women interested in this topic, so then it's it's hard to get to to make it equal, but it's it's going there, and it's definitely not just, uh, just for women, so... 
Yeah. And then the other point that you touched on that, um, you know, you're quite public on social media about not being vegan or that, you know, you still occasionally do eat meat and dairy and things like that. And could you, you know what you said, like, you know, replacing beef with chicken is already a good step, which is true. But like if you're eating chicken still three times a day, maybe instead of beef, that's a huge change. But still, it's like, it's not good enough, right? Or like how, you know, what's your, your reasoning behind that? And how do you get people to go from beef to chicken to then chicken to no dairy or, or vegan or something? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's something I sometimes sort of struggle with how to keep the balance. But uh, the thing is, when, when you look at the numbers for, of um, different foods and you look at the greenhouse emissions and the impact of meat and other products the conclusion is pretty simple that you need to reduce animal products as much as possible but those numbers are averages uh, from the current food system which is mostly industrial farming uh, and of course so industrial animal farming is one of the most damaging things uh, that we have in the food system but reading books about what the food system um, can be and where we should go and sort of how to do sustainable farming and also talking with a few farmers i found that we don't have to become we don't have to turn the food system vegan in order for it to be sustainable um, but it requires a different approach so uh, a farmer who takes um, looks at the ecosystem and sort of tries to establish a healthy ecosystem uh, you can there is a good place for cows and, and chickens and other animals in a healthy farm ecosystem but uh, then the sort of the animals role in that ecosystem needs to be more important than our desire for meat and right mm -hmm. now we've sort of completely switched it around we just want okay we want lots of meat so we're gonna sort of change the whole ecosystem mm -hmm. into a production for meat but if you turn that around and first look at okay how many cows does this ecosystem support uh, and what's the value that they can bring to a grassland for example then you do still get some sort of almost free uh, meat from that system uh, yeah, sure. but it's very little uh, it's much less than we have right now uh, so i do think that it's part of a sustainable food system but um, right now, I think the, the most important, the key thing is not that everyone becomes vegan, but that we switch around. Right now in the West, we're getting two thirds of our protein from animal products. And I think the goal should be to switch that around to one third animal products and two third plant based. If we can make that transition, it's going to make a huge difference already. Yeah, I agree with that. But I, at the same time, I think aren't we with way too many people and isn't the climate crisis way too urgent to take this baby steps approach? Yeah, I, that, that's a good question. And I understand that sometimes, of course, this is one of the criticisms I sometimes get is that people are, okay, we need to make big steps and we may make, need to make huge changes. So, and how are we going to get there with baby steps? And for me, there is um there are some baby steps that make a huge difference and others uh that maybe not so a big difference so um for, so the example of course my the baby step i try to give people is to replace beef 
with something else. Um, if I compare that to a different baby step, for example, like uh, not using plastic straws, they're both small steps, but the plastic straw one, um, I find it more complicated uh, because it doesn't sort of change the system. But with the thing with diets is that if you change one thing, it's so hard to change a diet because it's your habit. You do it every day, you're stuck in it, maybe for 10, 20, maybe 30 years already. So changing it is really hard. And I think making it uh, easier for people to start changing then puts them on a sort of snowball effect. Yeah. That then yeah, it's kind of like the trajectory to be able to change other things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, so it's sort of this irony that in order to change the whole system, we need to start with a very small step that you can take, but you can take this small step every day. So replacing beef is something that you don't just do once a year, but then you have to do it every day. And then slowly this, it, it changes your attitude and your habits to food. And I think it, it paves the way for much bigger change. So I, I do think that transformational change and sort of changing the entire system starts with changing people's habits. And in order to, to get there, you need to do it as small as possible because then people actually start. And if you make the, the barrier too, too big and the, the step too big, then people are discouraged and they won't even try. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that if you say, well, you need to, you know, either you have to be vegan or nothing, then people say, okay, well, I'm not going to go vegan. It's too hard. Um, but I think as well is, you know, is, is part of your messaging that if you switch from beef to chicken, you know, you're talking about like changing the system. Um, that means that I, I shouldn't be buying my chicken from Albert Hines still, right? Like I should be buying it from the farmer's market or from a local cooperative or organic farming. Um, exactly. which is then still kind of a hard, a hard step to make. Cause like you said, you know, it is habit. So now rather than going to, you know, my local Albert Hines every day and getting beef, now I'm getting chicken. Okay. You know, what impact is that as opposed to taking the step to go from chicken, but to a, a like locally sourced or organic, you know, farm raised chicken? Yeah, you touch on all the, the difficult subjects now. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't going to be easy, Frank. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a really good point. And I think that the thing, this is also something that I personally struggle with because I have a busy life. I live in the city. Uh, the supermarket is five minutes walking and a local farmer's market isn't. So I do go to the grocery store and the supermarket way more than I would ideally like myself to do. What I've sort of accepted or trying to do is to also the recipes that, that we create to make them for somebody, for a typical supermarket person. Mm, yeah. So and I think this is where it's really important. So we have this, we have this uh, priority list that starts with, okay, replace beef, less food waste, less meat and less dairy, all these kind of things. And this list is for a person, for an average Dutch person who buys their food in the supermarket. Then sort of that's the advice we give them because that's most people. So that, then what you do is you replace beef. And once you do that, then you eat less meat in general. You reduce food waste. Mm -hmm. and, what, and if you're doing that, then you're doing... It's definitely not the ideal, perfect, sustainable diet. But the reality is also that it's 
impossible for a consumer right now to have the ideal perfect sustainable diet so i think we sort of need to sometimes uncouple the make to break it down into smaller steps and say okay from a producer side the farmers have to do certain things uh, from a supermarket perspective so something needs to happen but then from a consumer perspective i always try to look at that way what does an average consumer need to do in order to be part of the solution to change the food system and the reality is that most people are buying their stuff in the supermarket so then the advice is eat less meat and mm -hmm. i think in that way then you're you're not solving everything all at once but you're definitely preparing the way for uh, farmers to maybe produce higher quality meat that then somebody can get at a local farmer's market and of course that, that would be great but so we try to sort of split it up into different things because you can't tackle all at once and the ideal diet isn't just isn't possible right now and not realistic to expect from an average consumer uh, so that's sort of how we try to to break down things but it's it's a very tricky subject and i'm definitely not done thinking or discussing about it hmm. yeah interesting and uh like kind of for your recipes i mean i know you said that you you know, you had this idea with food and with recipes because those vegetarian recipes were boring or gross, whatever, just like didn't interest you. Um, what are your requirements for your recipes? You know, do you, how do, what do you try to put in there to obviously make it tasty, but also have a minimal impact on, on the planet? Yeah, recently we, we made a list of what makes a fork ranger recipe. Oh, cool. And uh, it includes, so one of the most important thing is, things is that it has to include a source of protein uh, which is usually beans or nuts or lentils um, it has to include uh, multiple vegetables preferably two or three different kinds mm -hmm. uh, and then it needs to have needs to be filling so then once you eat it that it feels like a, a full dinner that you can serve a family and everyone feels happy um, and and then it, what we also try to do is only use ingredients that are commonly known and available in the supermarket. So the, the way we try to get taste is by different combinations and new combinations of ingredients, but not by using new kind of ingredients. Mm. So that's how, that's how we sort of try to make it. So, for example, um, there's a recipe, uh, one of my favorites, uh, it's a, uh, a, a chili recipe. Uh, and it uses, uh, of course, tomatoes and black beans, but then also a, a, a bit of coffee. And everyone has oh. coffee and tomatoes and black beans, but probably never in that combination. Uh, or orange juice and spaghetti. It's also two common ingredients, but in a combination, it's something completely new. And that's how we sort of try to create flavor, but still make it accessible. And and um, in your um, uh, Fork Ranger uh, list, uh, do you also include organic as a requirement organic is uh i was surprised actually in my research that organic became much more important to me than i previously thought uh, we don't make it a requirement but we do give it as advice uh, mm -hmm. for people to to buy things organically because uh, the most important reason is because it takes better care of the soil and in that way it can also reduce emissions a lot even though per uh, kilogram of food it uses a bit more land 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the way you really save land is by eating less animal products. So right. uh, we do we do ad- advise that. But for so uh, the yeah, it's hard sometimes because organic food is is more expensive, and uh, the recipes we we create we try to make them cheaper or uh, as uh, expensive or cheap as regular recipes. So it's sort of sort of a, sort of a bonus uh, that we that we try to give people. Yeah, I also find that organic food tastes better, though. For me, I I notice very much so that when I go to like my local co-op, and I get the veg fresh vegetables there, they're just way crispier and tastier than the ones from Albert Hein. So. Um, that's definitely something, but you mentioned that, you know, in your research, so do you do all of your own research? Like, how do you find all of this data and, uh, specifically for your recipes, you know, did you study nutrition or where, where does all of this insight come from? It all started for me with uh, a couple of books, uh, that sort of to, to get them more of an, uh, overview of the system. Uh, but then when we tried, when we write a blog post uh, about cheese or about soy, for example, we do try to find the, the academic articles. So we just go on Google Scholar and, and try to search for things or uh, try to search for other reports um, and really dive into the, the numbers and the statistics and, and try to get the, the research and, and then compare those numbers to, to other things. So if, it's sort of a mix between um, getting the actual numbers from uh, research papers, uh, but then also trying to understand the bigger picture uh, by reading books. And I think there are a lot of great books that, that sort of teach you to, okay, what should an ideal food system look like? What is the future that we sort of should aim for? Uh, and, and the research and the papers more help you to, to make decisions right now, because of course they're, done with numbers of the current food system and we that's the whole point we need to change the system so it's it's a mix but yeah we do we do all of the research ourselves and it takes a lot of time but it's also necessary and i think and also to to make it sort of i try to take people along in my journey because i'm not an expert i've been in this field for two or three years now uh, and i'm still learning but uh, what i try to do is take people along uh, for that and um Show them, show them what the what the numbers say, and yeah. Hey, and you talk about we. Is it just you, or are there other people involved in the Fork Ranger business? So, besides some volunteers and people who just help and test recipes, I have a co-founder since about uh, half a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, I so um, Marijke is helping me with uh, the app. Um, so, both together we're making new recipes, uh, trying to determine what should be the next priority, what should we focus on with making the app. And um, so the book was, was really my project. And then after that, I, uh, uh, yeah, we, we got, she got in touch and it was a really good fit. And it's a lot more fun to build a startup together uh, than doing it by yourself. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so when you talk about the future, you know, Obviously, we touched on before how you're not saying to eliminate all animal products. And of course, right now, there's a ton of uh, like plant-based and cell-based companies that are coming to the forefront of, you know, this vegan kind of food industry. Does that, is that something that like worries you for Fork Ranger or what is your thoughts on that, right? Because 
if it's going to be a cell-based tuna, that's going to be something that can just quite easily replace your vegetarian recipes. So is that something that you worry about or how would you like to incorporate the cell-based food into your business plan? Yeah, that's also a good question. I think at the beginning I had more doubts about this. Oh, what if, what is this going to happen? Or what if this is uh, going to put me out of competition in this, yeah, right. to say it that way? But I've sort of relearned to relax about that and, and see that if you have something of value, then it's not just going to go away. Uh, I think the way I see, I'm not, I need to research more actually about the cell-based um, products. Right now, I think they're too expensive to make it uh, viable. And now I'm also, I'm critical about whether they can truly replicate what actual meat is mm. uh, because there's so much going on that we still don't understand with relation to the soil uh, and food gets its taste and nutrition from the soil. So I'd, I'm a bit critical about how you can reproduce that in a lab since we don't even understand how the soil truly works. Yeah. Uh, so you mean then, on the nutrition standpoint, not on I mean, flavor or consistency, right? Yeah, I do think yeah. that, that there's going to be great uh, alternatives. And of course, right now you already see that plant-based meat is, uh, there's more and more options. And mm -hmm. um, I don't really don't see a good reason why uh, McDonald's should have real hamburgers. Uh, I mean, yeah. hamburgers are just messed up meat, um, not high quality anyway. So there's really no good reason that in the future that we'll have fast food that's uh, real meat that you can just make plant-based meat uh, alternatives but i think there there will be so i see um the opportunity for plant-based meats to sort of replace fast food and and take away things mm -hmm. and um and also help people to cook dishes that uh, they still want to make but um in a more sustainable way, like a tuna salad or something like that. Yeah, it makes the transition a lot easier if you can just replace things rather than have to kind of make up these new recipes of a new way of cooking. Right, uh, exactly. And I think in that way, it, it, it's a good starting point and helps people. I don't see that that's the ultimate sustainable food system uh, because a lot of these things, these products still rely on a big industrial monocultures. Um, and I think that's the bigger system that, that I want to, that the shift that I want to see is that we create more biodiversity and we truly look at the ecosystem rather than just, uh, okay, we need to eat vegan. Uh, let's turn all meat into industrial plant-based products. Right. I, I'm yeah. not completely, I don't want to say that they shouldn't exist. I think they have a great reason to exist, but I don't think it's the only solution that will get us to uh, a sustainable food system. And I think we're the power lies of vegetarian cooking and having to find new recipes and new ways of cooking is that you actually have to change your habits. And of course, that's mm -hmm. really hard, but that there's mm -hmm. something super powerful that if you can change your food habits, it, it's going to uh, transform other parts of your life as well. And I think it's sort of a, we, the, the plant-based meats sometimes might be a bit of a quick fix, which is good. We need that too. But I think we also need a change of perspective and a change of system and a change of how we see ourselves as part of nature. And I think that's where cooking and doing the hard work of cutting vegetables uh, really plays an important role. And, and um, the other part is that vegetarian cooking, I've, my food has become a lot more tastier and I've enjoyed <laughs> food so much more in the last two years. 
because I've discovered all these new flavors. And of right. course, the thing is that yeah. it takes some effort yeah. to to change, and that's why people need some help. And that's that's why we that's why I don't think it's gonna make us irrelevant if there's more plant based meat. Yeah. Well, and what do you think the connection between, you know, you talked about kind of like the connection to the the earth and the planet. And I couldn't agree more that I really think that especially for people when they just go to the supermarket and they can buy meat or chicken or anything quite easily, they're not seeing what it actually looks like. And how important do you think that connection to the earth and to the food and to the animals is when, you know, desiring to change your food style and your food lifestyle? Yeah, I think it's super important. That's also where I, the funny thing is that I never wanted to work in food. Uh, I saw, I, I also didn't consider myself a foodie. I was just, I loved hamburgers. I like, I like <laughs> eating good food, yeah. but I, yeah, I didn't have a special connection to it because it always seemed a bit boring and maybe domestic for me. Like, uh, I don't want to be in the kitchen. I want to be out there in the mountains and going on adventures. Um, but what I've, realized is that of course one half of of eating it happens in the kitchen but then the other half of the story of food happens in nature so really it is sort of food is nature if we do it right Uh, and i think that's what we have to uh that's the that's the sense of just connection to the world and also just pure happiness that you get by from eating food and for me, food has become so much more delicious if I know where it comes from and you sort of understand how it grew, how it was growing. And uh, so I do think it's, a, it's an important part. I'm still finding, trying to find ways of, okay, how do you connect people to their food? If they're Especially buying living everything. in a city as well. Yeah, if you live in the city and if you buy your food from the supermarket, it's sort of, okay, that's not the ideal environment for seeing where your food comes from. But just helping people understand that food is something so valuable and and comes from nature i think that's an important part of of the problem as well and just trying to sort of re-appreciate and relearn the the meaning and the value of food yeah yeah and so for for all of our listeners here what would you say i mean you started a business at you know what you said you're 29 so probably around 27 and uh obviously having some success with it. You have a book, starting an app. What has been the most challenging part kind of about being in the food industry or about starting a, starting a company in, you know, this state of our climate right now? Yeah, there are a lot of different challenges. Uh, just uh, <laughs> starting a company by itself is, is challenging. I think um, one important, one big thing was of course the the uncertainty and the complexity there's always when you try when you research a product or you know it always seems like it only gets worse and nothing mm. you can ever buy or eat is is any is any good it always mm. feels like okay then you replace meat with avocado uh, and beans and then you find out <laughs> yeah. about avocado and then you okay you want to eat tomatoes and then you find out about that tomatoes also not picked in mm. fair conditions. <laughs> and I think in that that's where I sort of learned to um, not try to do everything perfect, but to sort of accept that right now the food system is a mess and we need to start moving forward into something, into a new direction. And mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't know what the end solution is going to look like, 
but that doesn't mean that we can't move move into the right direction already. We we sort of we just have to start changing and adjust along the way. And even though we don't know what the ultimate sustainable food system will look like, it doesn't mean that we can't start moving. I think that's an important part: is that uh, you don't need to do everything perfect at the at the from the start. You just need to start doing start. something. And yeah. I think that's the that's the most important part. Yeah, we know for sure that the current system is not working. So that's already a given. Um, hey, and what are your dreams for the future of Fork Ranger? Good question, uh, because I, I like dreaming about the future. Um, for me, the, the one number that we have in our mind is we want to help 10 million people to eat more sustainable. Okay. Um, so the way we try to achieve that is with an with an app that makes it fun and also adds a bit of a gaming element to cooking. So that's what we're sort of experimenting with now. But the future for Fork Ranger for me is that my deeper mission with this all is to help people to find a way to sort of escape this consumer system that we live in. Because a lot of people and a lot of my friends also are it's sort of okay what are we doing with our lives what's the world gonna gonna look like and um it all feels so um purposeless sometimes and what i hope to show with fork rancher is to at least give people a sort of starting point to find some meaning in their life because they're they're changing the world for better in in their food and uh the the big domino effect that i hope that fork rancher can help with is to use food as a way to to leave behind consumerism mm -hmm. and to i always talk about what we need to do is we need to replace consumerism with a new version of the good life mm -hmm. and i think that's that's what food is definitely a big part of a, a new version of the good life but for me that that also includes adventure and friends and going into nature uh, so that that's really the bigger world vision where i hope uh, that i can play a small part in, in getting there cool big dreams i love that um and with the app you know you said that you have kind of a gaming aspect to it what who is your target audience for the app or what can people expect from the app my first target audience was uh when i made the book was myself so people uh who are trying to eat less meat but sort of find it difficult because they can't find the right recipes or they're not so good of a cook so they need some simple recipes so i think that's still part of the the target audience and then actually i found out that the second tar target audience is all the people who are already eating less meat but sort of have some doubts about are they really making a difference and isn't all these avocado and tomatoes and all these other things uh, even worse? Um, so the answer is, of course, no, it's not worse. It's better. But <laughs> trying to help people understand that. And so the goal is to really help people from any cooking level to find interesting recipes and, and interesting ingredient combinations to make their weekday cooking uh, easier and discover new recipes and, and flavors. Yeah, cool. And you talked about spaghetti and orange juice. That's a very interesting one for me. What is your favorite recipe in the book? Actually, that one. Um, really? Orange juice and, and spaghetti. There's also one with um, orange juice and rice. 
and um, yeah, the 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 smoky chili with with tomatoes and coffee, coffee is, yeah. is one of my other favorites. And I uh, through making this book, I learned how to make a good risotto. I mm. before that I sort of didn't really grasp that, and apparently there's more complexity to it than I thought. But if you get it right, it's so delicious. Uh, so I think that risotto is, is one of my other new favorite recipes. Nice. So, with but I have to ask, with the orange juice and the spaghetti, do you cook the spaghetti in the orange juice, or is the orange juice part of the sauce? Yeah. So, so you you cook uh, the spaghetti like uh, like always, and then um, you um, saute some onions, and then you add um, some spices to it. So I think uh, chili, cumin. Um, I think that's it from the top of my head. And then you add a bit of orange juice to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, garlic. Um, and then you let it simmer for a bit. And then when, when once the spaghetti is done, you just add it to the sauce and you stir it around and you have mm. orange juice spaghetti. And then, yes. you, of course, you top it with uh, some vegetables. Yeah. Actually, now I come to think of it, in my family, in my family in Austria, there's actually this classic um, pasta recipe with chicken and orange so mm. yeah. yeah i did get this recipe from um the mother of one of my best friends in germany so oh, wow. uh maybe there's a connection i have a recipe that i use that has orzo so kind of like a rice pasta and you cook it with um some apple juice so like apple cider and water just oh. to give the orzo a bit of more of like a sweet flavor with it as well but you actually cook the orzo in the apple juice Oh, that sounds um, delicious. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Yeah, yeah there's, there's so new many... inspiration for your book. Yeah, 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 definitely. Maybe uh, I'll steal that idea. We're yeah. constantly looking for new recipes and new combinations. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, where do you find your inspiration for new recipes besides me now? <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes um, just uh, on other food blogs. Mm-hmm. recently we started looking at the the most popular recipes on bbc food and mm-hmm. and then just either copy it or, or make the same because we don't want we don't have to create everything ourselves like yeah. it's fine if we if, if we can use other people's recipes and then and um because my goal is not to prove that i can make the best recipes in the world sure <laughs> my, my cooking uh skills are pretty limited but just sort of so and sometimes there's an interesting combination. Like yesterday, um, we had a combination I saw somewhere of fennel and orange, mm-hmm. uh, and then I thought, oh, maybe that would go well with couscous. And then I just start googling fennel orange couscous, and then you find like three recipes, and you make a combination of those, and yeah. and then uh, yeah, hopefully nice. it works. Yeah, cool. Um, do you taste all of the recipes before you? I mean, how many tries does it take before you publish one? Uh, I would say on average two or three. So tries. we, yeah. um, it takes a lot of work, and we sort of looked at how could we delegate this a bit more. But the hard reality is, unfortunately, that if you want to make good recipes, you have to have test to them a couple them. of times, and you have to make them yourselves. So, uh, yeah, two or three times, I think. Sometimes yeah. more, but... Yeah. And so then a couple... Just one final question is, how often do you eat meat? So I know you said, you know, you're not fully vegan or fully vegetarian, but on a weekly basis, how often are you eating meat? On a weekly basis, I don't eat it. I on during, Throughout the week, 
I I would say I eat 95 or maybe yeah 95 percent plant based. On the weekend, I allow myself a bit more cheese, mm-hmm. uh, and then meat. I only try to eat if it has a story to it. So mm-hmm. either that means that I visited the farmer where I see that the cows have a good life; they're fed only with grass, um, and the farmer is really like into sustainable food. Then okay, I see this is I know what this comes from. This is a good this is a good farm. I'll buy a piece of meat, or the other. Th- moment in the year that i eat it is uh, if i'm back in switzerland uh there's this childhood memory of roasting a sausage on a campfire Hmm. and once a year i definitely gonna do that because there's so much joy and memory connected to that so that's sort of how i try to yeah that's my new rule is only eat meat with the story or uh if it's gonna be thrown away otherwise that's the other then i eat everything I will also do that if, uh, you know, I'm, I'm vegan, but if it's going to be thrown away, then I will also eat it. And it's funny because I have a similar story with the roasting sausages on a campfire. And you know, I'm from Minnesota. And when I go home there, uh, my stepfather, you know, shoots, like kills the own, our own animals on the property. And so then they make steaks and sausages out of that. And um, I will also eat that. And it's the same sort of thing, roasting it on a campfire. And there's just something super fun about that and reminds me of childhood and uh so yeah, we, yeah. We, we're the same on that yeah interesting <laughs> yeah yeah i think we we covered all the questions um well the the regular questions because we have three questions that we want to end every episode with the first we already discussed a bit but i'm going to post anyway what is one thing that an ind- individual can change today to help make an impact replace beef with anything else and eat bread crusts because those are thrown away a lot. Hmm. Interesting. Good one. Nice. And uh, what is the last thing that you ate? That will be my breakfast, which is uh, something, a bit of a funny creation. Um, I, it's oats, but then I'm not using milk because I didn't want to buy milk all the time because it's too expensive. Um, so I add um, half a mashed banana, some peanut butter, uh, and an apple, and then I add hot water uh, to it and mix everything. That's very similar to what I had for breakfast today. <laughs> so so many similar uh, similar things. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and then the, the last question is: What's something that you struggle with in the food industry within the sustainability realm? I think that's those are the things we already talked about is sort of how to tell a story that's simple to understand but has enough nuance to it that's mm-hmm. something that's something super hard so if i say eat less meat that's the main message then it doesn't say sort of hard. cover the whole thing but that's yeah. still sort of what i what i stick with and then if people want to discover more then they can find out more but yeah find trying to make it simple and attractive but and understandable but also not losing the nuance is super hard yeah yeah cool well this chat was awesome frank thank you so much uh you know you mentioned something that i wanted to bring up for some of our listeners if they're curious uh you talked about volunteers for your recipes you know if people are interested in talking to you more or getting to know more or buying your book um where can they where can they go to learn more about fork ranger uh, yes i'm always looking for volunteers to test recipes and also uh, now I volunteer to help create recipes uh, and you can find out everything on the website, which is uh, forkranger.com. Cool. 
That's awesome. And I also have to say, I'm excited for your upcoming TED Talk. Uh, can you just give us a little bit, just a little <laughs> blurb about that? Yeah, I'm also excited about that. It's going to be about the first uh, three levels of eating sustainably and then uh, presenting it in a sort of um, video game format. Uh, so, uh, cool. And I, I start with going into the supermarket and feeling super stressed about which type of coconut milk to buy. <laughs> I know that stress. <laughs> yeah, I recently looked at and counted how many there are. And in my supermarket, there are 13 different kinds. So oh, wow. it really is a stressful decision. Well, that's actually really interesting. I have, you know, comparison to supermarkets in the U.S. I mean, there's, you know, probably 13 plus types of everything. So uh, it makes it easier when there's one choice. But nice. That'll be cool. I'm, I'm curious to hear that talk. Uh, so thank you so much, Frank, for, for joining us on Tasty Deep Dives today. And uh, yeah, I hope our listeners enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Thank you very much. Uh, it was really joy talking to you. And uh, of course, I always have to end with uh, may the forks be with you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>